0: And then the Mentawi Islands were discovered. And it's surfing Nevada, you know, it's just the most spectacular place in the world. Reef surf breaks, lefts, rights, warm water. It's just heaven. In Indonesia, when you get takeouts, eat nasi garang or noodles. And these three calzones arrived, the meat in it was just pitch black. It looked like tar and it stank. Mistake number two. I remember my knees buckling and me holding on this railing thinking, oh my God, if I vomit like that again, I'm going to black out. And that was the last conscious thought I had. So I obviously blacked out and just fell overboard. I was just in the middle of the ocean. I'd seen where we were on the GPS. All I saw was this puff of black smoke come out of the exhaust and they sailed away again. And I, I, I tell you what, I thought I'd lost the plot when when I saw the boat sailing away and I found myself in the ocean. Twelve hours later, I watched that boat go and I just knew that is it.
1: And that's where we left off in the last episode with Brett swimming for survival in the middle of the ocean, having just watched his boat sail away for the second time. Today, we find out how his story ends. I'm your host, Blake Dyson, and you're listening to Keeping It Wild.
0: I just remember going, this is me, I'm done, I I, I can't. I'm, I'm lying on my back and I'm just doing this and I just say, God, please let this end. Please, please, please let this end and then the storm came. I remember it, just, it, it looked like this big black snake just coming and it just went over the boat so they disappeared and then it hit me and I remember the rain just stinging me and just trying to make a funnel. And I actually remember getting a lot of water in my mouth with fresh water and I was like, oh my God, this is just so delicious. And the storm went rushing by me and the sky cleared and there was just this white... I I mean, people say, do you think it was a cloud? It was almost like this plume of water came out this ocean, like this mist. And in it, I saw the Virgin Mary. And I knew it wasn't real because she was made of Meccano set. Now, you two young, I mean, Meccano set when I was growing up, we didn't have Lego. We had these pieces of metal, all that holes in wheels, nuts Ah, and bolts, and we used to build the. I loved McConaughey. Professor Noakes actually explained, by this stage, I'm starting to hallucinate. I've got so much salt water in me. But it was so real. It was so real. I, that picture, I can still see in my head. And I remember saying, God, what is this? Like, what sign is this? Is this my end? Is this my sign that I'm going? And I said, please just make it quick. And suddenly it disappeared. Whew. And in the distance, I saw this boy floating. It was a bright red boy. It had a yellow light on it. It had a bell. And this bell was going clang, clang, clang. And I knew I could swim there. And all thought of death went away. I can swim there. MacGyver again. I don't know how I was going to do it, but I know every boy has got a GPS thing on it. I'm going to dismantle the GPS. I'm going to make a Morse code. I'm going to radio a helicopter. I'm going to be sitting on this boy. I'm going to collect it tonight. Dropped on my boat and I'm going to be drinking beers with my boys. And I started swimming to this boy, just doing breaststroke. This boy is so clear, making this noise. I I was probably, I don't know, 50 meters away from it, and I started cramping. I thought, Brett, just swim. And I put my head down, and I just started doing crawl. I've got to get there. I've got to get there. I lifted my head, and there was nothing there.
1: I know.
0: It was just a complete hallucination. My mind had made it up, and there was nothing there. And I look at this, and I'm, I, I'm going round and round in the water saying, please, 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 where's this thing? And eventually I'm so exhausted, trying to just lie on my back. And I, my, I remember my hands cramping, and with my hands cramped, I couldn't swim. So I was just trying to lie on my back and kick my legs like this together to keep, and, and then just do this with my arms. And I just, please, can I just sink to the bottom? I just want to end this. And next minute, my neck and my back of my ears were just on fire. And everywhere around me were these little Portuguese men of war. And they were just stinging me to death. Just all over, like stinging me. And I was like, and I, I actually was so happy. I went, I know how I'm going to die. I'm going to be stung to death by these things and just sink down. But the current pulled me through them. And suddenly I was out. They were over there. I had a few left on me. I remember pulling them off. And I was so angry. And I'm starting to have conversations with Jet, with with Bottoms. I won't use the language I used, but I was like, take that. I will show you. You're not going to put me down. But interestingly, uh, Tim Noakes reckons is one of the things that saved my life because got my adrenaline going. It made me so angry. I turned on. I'll show you things. You're not going to end my life. I will decide when I end my life, not you. And I'm swimming along again. I'm carrying on. And the sea got calmer and calmer, just these big undulating waves, no more pounding of me so I was just swimming along floating up down I was thinking I'm going to see land I didn't know the current was doing two and a half kilometers an hour so it was towing me along and it's so weird I it's something I never knew until now until that that incident and afterwards because I was in this current I was your body automatically will face into a current because your legs are the lightest part of your body and So I've been swimming against this current for all the time. That current took me 72 k's from where I fell off to where I was found. I was 72 kilometers away from where I fell off to where I was found. My guys carry on back to Padang. And it's just, you know, it's just so weird. I'm I'm, I'm now focus, focus, focus. And for some reason, I pat the back of my pocket. And in my pocket, I told you we'd spent a, a couple of hours in Jakarta. I'd paid for a room. In my back pocket was this little plastic thing with the room card, the credit card key. And I pull this thing out and I look at it and I go, MacGyver again. I mean, it was a gray card. I'm still convinced helicopters are going to come. I think I can, this, remember the movie with Tom Hanks in in Castaway, did you ever see no. that movie? He had a little, he was lost on an island. He had a little ball. Well done! Wilson, I'm sorry. A volleyball called Wilson. Oh, yes. I'm yeah, yeah. Sorry. Wilson. I, now, this card became my Wilson. I got this card. I reckon, hey, the sun's going to come out. I can Morse code. I can flash in the lights of the pilots or the boats. I put this thing in my pocket and I'm, this thing's going to save my life. And I look at the plastic card and the piece of paper and I, and I think, well, what can I do? And I chuck it in front of me, feeling bad because I hate putting plastic in the ocean. And in front of my eyes, it goes, and I suddenly go, God, Brett, current, current. This is, I forgot that card. I swam after that piece of plastic. And that's one of the things that truly saved my life because now I knew where the current was going. I know the current goes north to south. If I just go with this current, I'm going to hit land. And I was convinced I'd hit land before Nightfall. I've renewed energy. I've got my piece of plastic. I'm swimming. And I honestly felt like I was on a magic carpet ride. I was going so much faster than because although I wasn't swimming to get anywhere, it was like this constant slug. Now I'm turning, going with a current that's going two and a half k's an hour. I feel like I'm going along much faster. I'm singing my songs. I'm talking to people. And I think I must have fallen asleep because Anita was tickling my back. And it was just so lovely. And when I say fall asleep, it's for milliseconds. You know, like when you're in a bad dream and you and you wake up. But she was tickling my back. And I didn't know, but the back of my knees, I'd had this pair of cargo shorts on and they had a very thick hem. Just from doing breaststroke, my, the back of my knees was just raw flesh. So it was hundreds of little fish. They were nibbling my skin. That's what was the tickling I was feeling. But then they got down to the bare flesh and started eating the bare flesh and and the pain and I think it was milliseconds, I must have been swimming fallen asleep, this tickling's happening then this raw flesh being eaten I woke up in this agony and just all these little silver fish were around me and the first thought was I've just got to catch one, I need food, I need food, I'm trying to catch these fish in the ocean, it's exhausting myself and then I got hit in my back kidney here and I, my first thought was a barracuda you know there's a shoulder barracuda and they've hit me and and I actually was so happy because they're horrible fish you can't eat them but I know they'll strip a human body and, and I'm thinking okay now I know how I'm going to die I'm going to get savaged by it's like piranhas you know barracuda are going to strip me of my flesh and then this thing hit me again and it pushed me in the water and it was like that's not a barracuda and I, re- I think it's got to be a shark so I, I and I, I go okay I have to see the way I die I go into the water and I'm finning around and there in the distance I see the shark coming I remember going oh my god oh my god and he just came and I looked at him and I actually I mean I spoke to a shark I lifted my head up and I said buddy please just bite me here one bite in the neck and make it quick and as I lifted my head, I realised, I mean, I thought it was the size of the London Red bus when I first saw it. As I looked, lifted my head up like that to say bite me in the neck, I saw the fin. It was a black blacktip reef shop. I've done lots of diving. They, they're not interested in us. He was just curious. But I think there's got to be a reef nearby. There's a reef nearby. Look, how incredibly our minds think in that split second of realizing it's a reef shark and going, there's got to be a reef nearby. I go, I've got to catch you because I'm going to catch this shark. I'm going to hold on to his tail. He's going to swim to a reef and I'm going to be able to stand. So I've got to do this. And, in, and I realized I can't, I was thinking I'll just, as he comes at me, I'll sidestep him, throw my arms over. And then I think, no, no, that's not going to work. As he comes, just throw your left arm down your, down his throat, right arm over him and hold on. And then I go, This is, I mean, our human brain is so incredible. I I threw my belt away. In that second, I'm thinking, Brett, you're such a chop. Why did you throw your belt away? Because you're going to lose your left arm. You're going to need a tourniquet. And now you've thrown your belt away. I mean, I'm thinking, and with a flick of that shark's tail, he swam away. And it was the only time I cried (laughs) in in that 29 hours, 28 and a half hours. I said, please come back. Please come back. I have a life coach that I've worked with for 25 years. And she said to, I was, I was chronic pstd after this thing And i remember sitting talking to him and she "Brett, how bizarre was that moment in your life you're crying because the shark's swimming away from you not coming to <laughs> <laughs> not coming to eat you i mean it was absolutely bizarre but the shark's gone and i was so so upset i i, I like please come back but still in my mind there's got to be a reef nearby. so I just swim i kept going opening my eyes under the water but it was so deep where i was i mean Again, adrenaline, Tim Noakes believes, like the whole adrenaline of that shark and everything. I'm now, I'm going, I think I must have fallen asleep again because this thing hit me on the back of my head so sore. I lifted my head up in my left eye. I still have a lovely scar here. These two seagulls had, I mean, I must literally seconds, seen me floating. One lands on my head, I lift my head up, the other one's coming into land, hit me in the eye. And I, I mean, they were big birds. Right? The, the, the wing spread must have been all of three meters. And these two things are squawking and diving me. I used to love seagulls. I, <laughs> I read Jonathan Livingston Seagull as my set book in my trick. Mine. And, and I'd, actually, just before that, I'd watched um, Finding Nemo with, with my son and daughter. I know your son. He's orange. He's got a Gimpy fin on That's Nemo! <laughs> That Michael, mine, mine. I'm like you. Such cool. You help find Nemo. What do you? Why are you attacking me? And the second one comes di- diving down, and I'm going go away. And I remember the the wing, the the energy from his wing as he came down. I'm like get away. I in much worse language. But he comes at me again, and I, I look at him, and I suddenly go, Brett, food, food, food. And in the ocean, uh, it was the most bizarre thing. I. Do this, like peeping through my eyes. And they're squawking, circling around me. I stick my tongue out. and I'm going, uh, come, come. Because in I, in my mind, I can get one to land on my head. I'm going to grab him. I'm going to bite his head off, squirt the blood down my throat. And I was so hungry, I would have eaten that thing, feathers and all. And I'm going, come on, boy, come on, come come <laughs> I mean, I wish somebody could have videoed that. It must have been the most crazy thing ever of a human being. And with two squawks, those birds flew away. I'm like, come back, please, come back, please, come back, and I'm almost in tears again. Like, please come back. I've got some food here, and they, the two of them, head off. But again, this is how weird the human mind is. Somewhere I'd read that seagulls they can float on on the ocean like a duck. They don't like resting and well, roosting in water. They like to roost on land or on a boat. These two things are flying off. The sun peeped out for a brief second, and I'm. I'm, I'm kind of calculating is like hopper's was five, early six o'clock, sunsets at about eight there. The sun sets in the west. The seagulls are flying west. I'm going west because I'm doing my little the islands are in the west. I'm going to hit islands before nightfall. And I'm so I'm singing again. How it happened, I don't I don't hit land by nightfall. Suddenly I don't know and I still I mean the 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 clarity of the moment was daytime and suddenly it was nighttime. And I don't know, that that moment of it turning dark is now pitch dark and I think I cannot make it through another night. There's no ways I can swim for another night. So I'm, I'm trying to lie on my back. I'm cramping again. It's dark and ahead of me, I just see all these beautiful jellyfish. Glowing jellyfish and I I'm drifting towards him current's taking me straight towards him and I'm thinking and as a kid growing up I think I was nine years old hitching down to the beach in Durban I remember Sunday Tribune being the headline being up on the poster saying a six year old boy from the free state killed by jellyfish and I was like how can you get killed by a jellyfish because we used to surf in Durban. We'd see these jellyfish and pick them up and throw them out the way. They'd sting your hands a bit, but they just, what had happened, these had all washed up Was a little kid from a farming, from Bloemfontein. Walking along the beach, he picked this thing up and stuck it on his head and oh. said, Ma, pa, cake me hoot And this thing stung him to death. So it was the headline of the newspaper. It's, I mean, I'd never thought of that thought again. I'm in the ocean floating towards these jellyfish. I go, Brett, I know how you're going to end your life. I'm going to put one on my head, I'm going to shove one down my throat and swallow, and then hold another one against my throat, and I'm just going to sting myself.
1: This isn't an advert, but we have a new partner for this episode, and want to take a quick break to share how incredibly lucky we are in South Africa to have our own sea rescue heroes called the NSRI. With nearly 50 rescue bases and around 1,500 unpaid volunteers across the South African coastline and inland dams, ready to serve. The NSRI have also launched a cell phone app called Safe Tracks, Safe TRX, that monitors your journey on the water and will alert your emergency contacts should you fail to return to shore on time. This free app lets you plot your intended course, allowing the NSRI to monitor your location at all times during your trip, giving you the ability to call an emergency at the push of a button and send your exact position to the rescue crews, taking a search out of search and rescue. The app is free to download on App Store. And remember, the NSRI still rely on donations. So head over to their website, nsri.org.za, and donate. It could save a life. So I'm swimming, and I'm completely committed to
0: this, what I'm going to do. I'm saying all my goodbyes to my family. I go into these jellyfish, and they start stinging me like the blue bottles, I went mental. I remember picking them up and throwing them here and plop as they landed. But I was just getting stung everywhere. And I thought, okay, at least I'll just sink after this, but I'm not going without a fight. And like the blue bottles, I'm suddenly out the other side. Jellyfish are there, I'm here, the current's taking me through, but I was on fire. And I look at it and I like, take that, you guys. Again, adrenaline's pumped up, I'm swimming. There's like the sequence of events from there. I, 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 Tim Noakes explained to me, I'm now completely dehydrated. My body, our body is incredible. My body ate eight, eight kilograms of my own fat to feed my brain. I always say it's the best diet, diet in the world. You know, Tim Noakes wrote a book about banting My my <laughs> second book was just three lines, vomit, fall overboard, swim 28 and a half hours, lose eight kgs, the end. That's my book. But, I, I can tell you I saw these two little kids paddling up, <laughs> two little Indonesians saying, Mr. Mister, Mister, we come save you, we come save you. Say, thanks, guys. Thank I love you. Thank you. And the kid in front had, I mean, I can still see his face to this day. He had the most, he had the spiky hair. He was a Thai version of Alfie from Mad Magazine. These big ears and these teeth that just stuck out. And I remember saying, Thanks, my buddy. I am gonna take you with me back to Cape Town, and I'm gonna take you to the best dentist in Cape Town and have your teeth fixed. I'm having this conversation as I'm swimming up to these kids. I go to grab the front of their boat, there's nothing there. Tim Loke said I'd fallen asleep. This hallucination, the action of going like, grab the boat like that, I woke up, nothing there. I also saw 1634 Dutch East India pirate boat. This thing came towards me and I, as a kid, I loved making model boats. I used to make model airplanes and model boats. It was the exact replica and they had two pirates on it. And they said to me, swim young man, swim. And I remember saying, shot for the young bro, I'm 50. I hear still two things in my life. That bell on that boy and they threw a rope ladder down the side. This boat, massive wooden boat, sailed up to me. They threw a wooden ladder, white, white rope slats of wood and I went clunk, clunk, clunk down the side of the boat and I went up went to grab that ladder nothing there woke up same thing just this action of almost nodded off action nothing there and then I remember looking on the ocean and I just saw three lights or three stars and I thought stars don't can't be on the ocean like what are those three lights and I suddenly went it's land it's a village in the jungle and it was, it was three villages. I mean, they're far, but it, the islands were 37 k's away. But the sea's calm, calm, calm now. And I see these three lights and I go, I didn't know how far it was. I, I can swim there. And I remember, so I knew it was going to take me a long, long time, but I can get there. And I start swimming and the current took me past the first light, second light, third light. And in my mind, the current had now taken me right down the Mentawi straight out into the ocean. So I'd missed land. And I lifted my head up and I actually saw my boat again. But it but it was, I knew it wasn't real. It was the back of my boat and each of my friends, there was a big gap in the back where you stepped onto a platform to jump off with your surfboard. Each of my friends, there was seven in a row, my friends, and it was almost like a procession. It, I knew they weren't real, but the action of swimming to them, And then going to reach with them, but there was never a hand there. And and Tim Noakes explained again. I would go to do go and grab their hand, and seven times it happened. And on the eighth time, I remember it was my friend Craig, and I got there and I didn't even try and reach his hand. I just said, Craigie, you're not here to rescue me. You had to say goodbye. And he just looked at me and he just nodded. And I said, Cheers, buddy. And I actually. Said all my goodbyes. Said goodbye to my family, to my mom, to my kids. I just said, "You guys are going to be okay," and I just let go. And I just went down, Blake. I went down like a stone, just going down. And I was so at peace. I remember, folding my arms and just going and saying, "Okay, just take." You're going to take a deep breath now. And the most interesting thing happened. My ears got sore because now I'm going down. I'm with pressure. I start equalizing. I start holding my nose, blowing my nose. <laughs> I'm the bizarreness of the situation, I'm in the water and I'm going, Archie, what are you doing? You're drowning. You're dying. Just accept it. Why are you equalizing? Just go and let your head pop. And my brain fried. It literally just fried. It was like, I, I felt like springs were coming. Like, you pathetic individual. You're giving up. Fight, you asshole. And I remember just in the water, just, clawing my way up, coughing, vomiting, spluttering and my head breaks the surface and it was daytime and I could see land, I could see two islands the sea was like glass, it was like day, like night had become, day had become night the day before, I don't know how, it, would, it was almost instantaneous and I could see two islands, I turn around and I see an Indonesian fishing boat rescued. I'm rescued. And it's a boat. I can get on the radio. I could hear these guys talking and I tried to shout. My tongue was so swollen. I, oh! I tried to shout. Oh! Now I've got my macabre sense of humour kicks in. I'm going to swim up to these guys and I'm going to dive down quietly and I'm going to grab one of their fishing lines. I think, now can you imagine this poor Indonesian fisherman? <laughs> He's pulling his line up and here comes this bloody white mlungu going. Ah, So I'm killing myself, laughing, paddling towards him. This is the trick I'm going to play. And I just hear like a gunda gunda sound, tractor sound. And they start their boat up and they sail away. But watching that boat sail away, I just, and I'm not proud of it. I mean, at that moment I made a conscious decision I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to drown myself because I can't do anymore, I mean my hands were cramping my toes and I literally lay on my back like this and I said okay how am I going to do this and I tried to put my mouth in the water and just swallow water and I couldn't so I swam down, I said all my goodbyes and I remember lying on my back probably a meter down and it was the most beautiful day, just blue sky this aqua water and I just took this and it was so amazing. We can actually breathe water. You can breathe water. It just doesn't convert to oxygen. I filled my lungs up and I remember breathing breathing out. But the funniest thing was, because my tongue was so sore, now there's warm. The water's gone into my lungs. It's warm. It's coming out. The warm water, Sucking the water in wasn't bad. Breathing it out on my sore tongue, I was like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> that's not so cool. I breathe, you're killing yourself. Just <sighs> another one second time comes out, ah, this is not cool. This is not cool. And the third time I did it, I remember going, Brett, what the hell are you doing? You've seen one boat. Fight, you asshole. And I swam to the top, vomiting, just trying to puke this water out of my lungs. And I look up and I saw a little black cross on the horizon. And I looked at that and I went, God, shove that where it fits best. I've, I've seen all your signs. I can't. What I didn't know was the top of the mast of this boat, the Baron Joey. So Doris had gone out that day, the whole day. He was eventually called in by the port authority And his crew told me after that he just paced up and down. He was just drinking beer after beer after beer, saying, I should have found him. 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 him." And at four o'clock the next morning, when first light, and the storm had abated, they said they can go. He headed out, and he he said he just got this instinct. But what he'd done during the night, he'd been, he'd, Hadn't slept. He just paced up and down and he'd gone to the edge of the boat and he saw this bunch of coconuts floating by. So he wasn't in the harbour, he was in the leeward side of the island. He saw these coconuts and he went, they're going the wrong way. The currents, he realized that the, the severity of the storm, the currents had changed. So they'd been looking for me. So my boat had passed me, but now instead of coming straight down and hitting, The current had changed, and I was going like this. I was now going, instead of coming north-south to hit the islands, I was now turned and going south-southwest. So I was never going to hit land. So he went, and every 10 minutes, he threw a coconut in the water. And the next morning when they said, get going, he knew my body. He said, he gave me until 7 o'clock. He said, "They'll, they'll either be, we'll find him alive, or he'll find a body, but he'll be on the current. And he put a guy on the front of the bow, and they all had like, 20-minute shifts, and he said, you just point left or right. Just wherever you see a coconut, that's where we go. I don't know any of this. I'm in the water, beautiful, and I just see this little black cross, and it's coming, and I go, God, I'm sick of your signs. This is What is this? This thing keeps coming towards me, keeps coming. I'm just treading water. I can see land. I'm not, This thing's coming closer, and then suddenly I see the top of this boat, and then I see realize it's the mast of a yacht, and then I see the bow, and then I see this guy pointing left, right, And I'm just treading water thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? And they kept coming. And I'm not going to get excited. I'm not going to. I can't have another disappointment. They come, come, come. And I don't know what distance. They turned away to the right to starboard. And I remember looking at it going, no, you can't turn away. And I went to the same school as Chad LeCleur. He just won the Olympics against Michael Phelps. And I made a pact. I said, Brett, you're going to put your head down. You're not looking up. You're going to count to 300. 300 strokes, and you're going to swim in the direction of their boat. You lift your head up, and one of two things will happen. Their boat will be there. You'll survive. They'll save you. Or it won't be there, and you'll have exerted, and you'll just sink to the bottom. And I put my head down, and I swam. I thought I was swimming like Chad LeClo. I remember going like a machine. And I remember going, 299, 300, I lifted my head and they were there and I screamed. And I remember this guy on the front, he was pointing. He just, he looked up and then he looked right. And I'm like, look left, look left, I'm on the left. And I screamed again. And then I just heard this roar come off the boat and the little Indonesian guy up at the top with his binoculars had swung around where he heard the sound and spotted my little head. the boat turned and they came at me and they said it's so funny they said they're coming towards me and and i remember looking and going they said i came out the water like a water polo goalie," and i remember this so clearly they said i came out like to my waist and i remember going thank you thank you thank you but as i went in every because of the exertion every single muscle in my body just cramped and they're coming at me and i just went down i mean i remember trying to put my hands down and the last thing I saw as my eyes went under the water was this guy just running and diving off the front of their boat. They threw a buoy. The buoy kind of landed maybe 10 meters. I couldn't even swim. I just went, woof, the buoy was there. And I remember going down and I just, I was in such agony. And I just said, neat. I said, goodbye. I said, Bye-bye. how ironic is this? I'm 10 meters away from being rescued and I'm not going to make it. And I actually had this, I started laughing underwater and I remember my ears getting sore and I thought this, I, I was just cramping. And I was just going down like a lead, lead stone and suddenly this arm. And I remember I was just so happy. I was like, okay, it's all over. So bad that I didn't get rescued. And this arm came from underneath me. And, it, and my descent stopped. And next minute I'm going back up and as my head broke the surface, I just heard, we've got you, mate, we've got you. And it was this laugh card. I mean, he, he, he realized I'd gone into cramp. And he just went, the guy's cramping. He's not going to get to the boy. And he just ran and dived. Then they all jumped into the water. And I mean, so many stories. I remember getting on board and saying, did you guys hear me shouting? And they said, yeah, mate. We thought there was a wounded <laughs> buffalo in the ocean. And I said, did you see me swimming at you? I was swimming like Chad Leclerc." They said, no, mate, you were going round and round and round and round. And then I met Doris, you know. I mean, they called him out of the cabin. I'll show you some incredible footage on that. And he he was so reticent, like he didn't want any credit or anything. And and I never, I mean, the one thing, he came out the cabin. And, and it was so interesting because remember I told you I'd been stung by all the blue bottles. I mean, when I got out the water, in the water, the, the pain went away. When I got out the water... These welts—they were all over me, like bright red. I got this photograph of me shaking hands with him. There's just these bright red welts, and I remember saying to him, "Hey, Doris, thank you, mummy. Thanks for saving my life." I said, "By the way, have you got any cream for for like these these jellyfish stings?" He said, "Mate, you've been swimming for twenty nine hours. Harden the fuck up!"
1: <laughs>
0: and then I just collapsed down on the thing. And and I mean, again, it's just the synchronicity of this life is. My mates are quite open. If I'd gotten board my boat, I would be dead. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. No, I mean, I would have forced them Two of my mates would have gone. No, they would have given me a beer, which I probably would have drunk. I just wanted, I just wanted to down ice cold water or Coke. I said to the, the one doctor, so he had me sit down. I had a doctor on each side of me and they're examining me. And I remember the one looking at the other and he was, his eyes were just getting bigger and bigger. And I said, what's wrong mate? And he said, we can't find a pulse anywhere in your body. And we've got to get you downstairs. And they picked me up, took me down into the the galley, the kitchen area, lay me down on this bed. They checked my blood pressure. I mean, my blood pressure was 64 over 48. I remember saying to Tim Nokes, how how much longer did I have? And he said, Look, he gave me 10 hours on the radio. Keno Cummings phoned him and said, This South African missing overboard, how long naturally, physically, can he survive? He said, 10 to 12 hours, 16 if he's an Olympic athlete. So it was so interesting because when he, when I came back from the trip, he, he uh, contacted me and said, I need to talk to you because I need to understand this physiologically, you know, and it, it was just so radical. I said, how much longer do you think I would have had with that blood pressure? He said, Brett, this is exactly what would have happened. You would have been swimming along and your heartbeat would, your heart would even go, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And he said, you wouldn't even know. Your heart would have just stopped and you would have just sunk. I said, well, how much longer? And he said, you, I, I, he said I gave you 10 hours. You lasted 28 and a half. He said, it's impossible what you've done. So I can't say how long, but it wouldn't have been more than another hour. And your heart your heart just didn't have the ability to carry on beating. So, I mean, that's how close. My boat was seven hours away from me. It took them seven hours to get back to me because they'd gone traced me where I should have been. They'd gone all the way back to where we started and then come all the way back again. But because the current had now turned, I was far, so far away from them. So they got the radio signal that I'd been found by the Aussie. So they said, okay, I'll come and meet me. But it took them seven hours to get to me. So I was on board with these, with these guys for seven hours. I mean, God bless that I'd gotten, I would have died on our boat from secondary drowning. I told the Aussie doctor, I said, I've actually just tried to kill myself. I filled my lungs with water. I mean, they straight away turned me they had a surfboard there. They were beating me on the back. I mean, they took seven liters of water out of my lungs, which I would have been in, in any given terms, two hours, I would have been dead of secondary drowning. So I spent incredible time with them. They were amazing. I mean, they bathed me, they cleaned me up. I had these big gashes on my nose here. They the doctor glued me up with this special skin glue, the back of my knees. They showered me, they gave me a set of clothes, they said, you got to sleep, and I lay there, and I just couldn't sleep. I eventually asked for a, an exercise book, and that became the story of my book, I mean the basis of my book. I just started writing everything that I could remember, the emotions I'd felt, because I wanted my kids to know, and they were too young to understand the normity of what happened to our family at that time, so I just wrote, and I just wrote for seven hours, and eventually I went and sat with them, and we were talking, and then my guys came we had a phenomenal catch up together. And then I went across to my boat. And interestingly, the two guys whose 50th it was, was on the day I was rescued. So they had the party. They had a party of note that night. And then I crashed. And it was so, so weird. I woke up at midnight. And our boat luck was like a morgue And I thought the guys would still be partying. But there was everybody was just so shattered often. They hadn't slept since, since the day before. And so... I get up and I walk to where I'd fallen off. So the railings there where I'd fallen and I'm sitting there. There's a little bench there and I'm sitting and I just started crying and I'm looking. It was the most beautiful night. The moon was glittering on the ocean. We were anchored in this little bay and I was looking and I was just thinking, Brett, how did this happen? How? I could not work out how I'd fallen over. And I just had these tears running through down my face, and this little arm came out, because the skipper's cabin's here, and it was the skipper. He put his arm around me, and he stood behind me with his arm around me, and the two of us, I just felt his tears on me. The two of us cried and cried, I mean, I... So we were probably four hours just sitting. He can't speak English. I can't speak Bahasa. So we just sat in the most companionable silence. And I just saw the sun starting to peak. And I said, Skip, you've got to put me back in the ocean. He said, Mr. Britner, no, I tie you to boat. I tie you to boat. I'm not putting you <laughs> in the ocean. I said, "But you have to, because the ocean is my my happy place it's my church and if I don't go back and I'll never go there and then I'm then I then I wish I had died in those. fortunately two of my mates are up and there's a there's a short little video clip that that they put together with riders on the on the storm and the three of us go out and there's a there's a like a three second pan across my face and you've never seen such panic in your fa- in in a human being's eyes and face. And anyway, go out to the break. It was a cranking day, perfect surf. And I got there, and I remember just throwing my board away and knowing I had to dive in there and swim down. And and I did. And I and I tell you what, my brain frazzled. I, I just my brain fried. I was just get out, get out, the water, get out the water. And I just thought I have to stay. And I cooled myself in this little ball, and I just lay there and I just breathe, breathe, just calmium calmed myself down, swam to the top, put my leash on, paddled into the surf, and I surfed. But twice in the day, I paddled. I went in onto the beach and I actually walked into the jungle. And I remember one time just bashing my head on this palm tree until my forehead started bleeding. And then I was tasting his blood. Because like, in my mind, I wasn't there, you know, I, I, I'm making all this up. I died in the ocean, but now I'm making it up. But I, I mean, I also did a terrible thing that night that I got onto our boat. I phoned Anita and said, I'm not coming home. And she said, what do you mean? I got a helicopter on standby, two per day. I said, "Bubby, if I come home, I'll end up in a mental asylum. I have to get back in that ocean. And I ended up, so I stayed the whole surf trip. We (laughs) surfed like rock stars and came back two weeks later and started my whole new life, a whole different world that
1: I now live in. what has changed from that day everything i mean
0: my life changed 180 degrees i was the biggest bully. i chased money power money was everything in life I, that's all i cared about um growing up with lots of money it all got taken away as a youngster and i always swore i would never be poor you know and that's all i did and I gotta tell you, while I was in the ocean, never once did I think about how much money I've got in the bank, never once did I think about what house I lived in, what car I drove. All I thought about was my relationship with God, my faith, and I I mean I was really, really into the church as a kid. Part of the youth thing at St. Elizabeth's. Played in the band, sang Sunday night church group, coached um, well, did Sunday school with, with the little ones. And, and when I went to the army, you know, I just walked away, I, I saw such atrocities there, was like, there can't be a God, you know, but my God, or interestingly, every time I've surfed in my life, I sit on my board and I talk, and I just talk to God, I tell him all my problems, all my, I feel like I've got a direct line, but I had a very long direct line, a very long phone call with with God, and, and the other thing is my family, you know, I'd Even though I thought I was such a great dad, I mean, all I did was work. I just worked, worked, worked. I neglected my family. It was all about making your business work, making lots of money, and then also friendships. You know, I told you I had all those conversations. There were were people I'd realized that I'd I'd thought they were my friends and they are actually not. When you really drill down into it, there were other people that I'd not realised how amazing they were to me and my family and what a massive role that played. I never never acknowledged them. And that became my that's become my mantra in life. You know, it's a really tough thing. I mean it's my, my three Fs, faith family and friends. And and my slogan is just, yeah, always believe in the impossible and never ever give up. And that's so weird. I've never worried about money since then. You know, we 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 tend to see the world only the negativity in the world, and there is such unbelievable power, the synchronicity. There, the, the, there's a universe out there that, with the power of positive thought, those were the wings under my arms, and that kept me going. You know, I mean, I gave up, I, and I'm not proud of it. I gave up eight times, Blake. I was ready to go, just end this for me right now. I've been given this platform. Everybody, like, I get asked all the time, why. Why do you think you're here? And I said, because God wants me to tell the story.
1: And what a story it's been. Unbelievable. Keeping It Wild is produced by Telltale Media, and I'm your host, Blake. If you've enjoyed it, please consider donating to help us bring you more epic stories like Brett's, Go to our website, www.keepnutwild.co.za for all the details. Till next time, keep wild well and keep wild.